सो आई एम वेरी प्राउड टू हैव कैप्टन योगेश पाई ऑन सो वॉच नेक्स्ट डे सो आई एम एक्सट्रीमली लाइक हैप्पी टू हैव यू योर आई एम वी गो नो टॉक अबाउट अ लॉट ऑफ थिंग्स आई एम होपिंग टू हैव अ रियली इंसाइटफुल कॉन्वर्जेशन विथ यू टू स्टार्ट ऑफ आई वॉन्ट टू आस्क यू दिस वॉट्स द डिफरेंस इन मैंटेलिटी लाइक आई मीन बिफोर बिफोर यू जॉइन द एयरफोर्स एंड देन आफ्टर यू जॉइन द एयरफोर्स वॉट वॉज द शिफ्ट इन मैंटेलिटी दैट हैपन वेल द ट्रेनिंग ऑफ द आर्म फोर्सेज इज सच दैट you know they teach you uh, very very important things in life which uh, transforms your uh, attitude towards life the first being discipline uh, the second being uh, you know the way you conduct yourself and the third and most important thing is uh, patriotism like uh, whatever you do it's for, for the nation and for that uh, you should be willing to give anything and everything including your own life and that's like the trainings the mentality absolutely, absolutely. like very like this how long absolutely. were they like so we are like you know young rookies you know uh, coming out of like in my case pure civilian background and the training quality is of the highest standards and they ensure that whatever your background is uh, they mold you they groom you into the finest officers in the world okay so then when you joined like how did you rise above the ranks yeah so uh, we have a structured uh, training uh, like i came through the national defense academy uh, which is a rather long uh, <clears throat> and very rigorous 3 years of training and since i was an air force cadet i went to the air force academy in hyderabad did my flying training which is about 1 year which is again very very challenging and uh, thereafter as far as the promotions are concerned coming to your specific question uh in the initial stages we have uh, you know assured uh, time bound ranks like after certain number of years uh, you are promoted to the next rank uh, provided you meet certain basic uh, you know requirements like the medicals and your uh, minimum uh, appraisals and of course uh, you should be fit to uh, continue in whatever uh, branch you have joined and at a later stage in life you know it's like a pyramidal structure so uh, the number of vacancies keep reducing as you go up so not everyone can make it so sometime at some stage you are one of the people uh, who don't make it and yeah. uh, that's where you know uh, the time comes for you to take a call should you should i continue or should i look for something better outside so you know like during the trainings also there are a lot of people who quit Yeah. like they just can't go through the trainings yes, and yes yes absolutely absolutely you know so a uh, lot of uh, people have you know wrong notions about the armed forces and they join thinking that it's a cushy life it's definitely not a cushy life what you see is the glamorous part uh, especially on screens and you know in uh, in the social media uh, but it's a very challenging life especially the training part and uh, about 30 about 10% out of 300 uh, cadets uh, we join nda about 30 cadets run away because they find the training too tough to handle yeah i think many more than that as well uh, run away in the first few days as well yes you yes, know yes. because and what you uh, what you're saying about the glamorous life i think you're mentioning the parties and everything that people watch it on screen and absolutely then, absolutely you know so uh, people feel that you know uh, i want to join the air force so jo- i join the national defense academy put on a ray-ban you know go and ride a bike <laughs> or something sorry it's not like that you have to struggle your way up uh, and uh, you know you have to uh, prove you that you have the right metal in you yeah. uh, to make it to that grade yeah. which is very very challenging I know, I know. You, I think you served also in like Siachen and Himalayas, and also you've been through that entire journey as well. That yes. you know the tough 
uh, conditions are out there, mentality, everything you've done, all of that. Can you tell me that experience? What was it like? Yeah, uh, Siachen Glacier is something, you know, uh, which is very close to my heart because I was posted there for uh, two years. Uh, I was supposed to lay and we used to fly into the Siachen Glacier almost every day. And uh, my experiences were uh, so memorable. I can tell you till my death, I can keep explaining my memories and, you know, Please describing do. them yeah. to my future generations. And the best part why it is so memorable is because what we did uh, is something not practical anywhere in the world. Yeah. Because Siachen is the highest battlefield in the world. And our Indian Air Force pilots, the landings we do, have been recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as the highest landings in the world on a regular basis. So there are helipads at a height of 22,000 feet where we land, uh, which if I tell any pilot in the world, uh, they will say just not possible, you guys are crazy. So this kind of crazy flying we have been doing regularly for past more than 30 years. I know it's the highest battlefield in the world, right? Yeah. So then what was the flying conditions and all that? How did you used to live there as well? To be very honest, there was nothing which was conducive to flying. Everything was uh, extraordinarily challenging. Uh, to begin with the terrain, terrain, like I said, flying at 22,000 feet, very challenging. The temperatures, minus 60, minus 70 degrees. You're flying in a machine which has been declared unfit to fly at that altitude. Yeah. Uh, very challenging. But the Indian Air Force pilots have tested it to its limits. The French pilots who are the original manufacturers of this uh, Cheetah helicopter, uh, they themselves refused to fly, saying that no, uh, this is really courageous flying which you are doing. We would not like to involve ourselves. So, But this kind of challenging flying Indian Air Force pilots have been doing day in and day out for so many years now. And uh, of course, uh, it requires a lot of courage to fly there because every day you are fighting against the weather, against the terrain, against enemy fire, against all adverse conditions. But you never let your guard down, never say no. And you always look forward to more flying every day. You know, I read, uh, read it yesterday only that more people have died over there because of natural causes. Absolutely. More Absolutely. than the like fire, gunfire situation. Yes. I yes, think yes. there's been no gunfire since the last 12 years over there. Yeah, it's uh, uh, basically uh, an area where, you know, we dominate all the heights. Yeah. And whoever dominates the heights, uh, he retains uh, yeah. that part of the country. And it is a very, very inhospitable terrain. And I must mention here that our Indian Army troops are doing a fantastic job living in uh, extraordinary conditions. You know, uh, it's beyond your imagination staying in minus 60 degrees temperatures in 8, 8, 9, 9, 10, 10 feet of snow and keeping their machine guns warm with their hands and, you know, staying in caves with hardly any facilities. So uh, it's uh, really very, very challenging life for them. Can you tell me like how, what was the story that when we captured Siachen in 1984, like what w went down? Because as far as I know, the Pakistan military first got to know about Siachen as a strategic location. And um, the Siachen Glacier by the UN, it was declared that it's a neutral territory between both India and Pakistan. Yes. So then the Pakistan military got to know about that first and how can they use it as a strategic point. But then the Indians were the first one to capture it. 
So can you yeah. tell me that story? Yeah. So basically, uh, uh, when the ceasefire, uh, when the partition happened, so there was a line called N- NJ nine eight four two. Yeah. So NJ nine eight four two was and uh, came to an end on the map at a at a point beyond which uh, it was left open and to the glaciers yeah. because it was a completely inhospitable, inaccessible terrain. And at that point of time. uh the people who made the map uh, could not even believe that anybody could venture out into this area at all and that is why there was a, a gray area i mean there was no well identified marking as to who who this area belongs to then in 1984 colonel narendra narendra kumar okay colonel narendra kumar uh, he went on a mountain exp- uh, expedition into the glacier and he found maps there of pakistan uh showing that area under pakistan uh which uh, was not acceptable to us he yeah. immediately came back and reported to uh, army headquarters and that is when we realized that the pakistanis were using this area by taking benefit of nj9842 and uh, uh you know they are using that area with their uh, tourist uh, guides the trekking guides and all that and uh, encouraging mountaineering to europeans in that area and that is where in 1984 i i must tell you proudly 114 helicopter unit uh, which i also served they were the first element uh, to go into the siachen glacier and that is why that unit is called siachen pioneers wow. and i was part of that unit for 2 years from 1992 to 1994 did you have any close calls or deaths in that uh, you know 2 years that you served over there well to be very frank Every morning we used to have a briefing at the CHN base camp before we entered into the glacier and we used to all look at each other we were all young officers that time we used to smile at each other and say that bus let's aaj wapas aa jaye bus kal ki kal dekh lenge <laughs> every day was challenging every day was a close uh, encounter every day was you know seeing death very closely yeah very challenging life uh now when i think back yes it was uh, you know uh, something i can boast about all my life but when we were there on ground at that time we used to really feel very very <laughs> bad ki i hope i come back alive today so it was really challenging and have... at the same time when we used to come back in the evening we used to really celebrate ki chalo ek aur birthday ban gaya aaj so like do you have a particular story in mind that you want to share like one instance that happened that you know you got really scared that i might actually die or uh, it's very difficult to identify one particular situation almost every day we were flying deep into the glacier uh, you know supplying ammunition supplying kerosene oil supplying uh, post the most important thing was post you can imagine that era when there was no mobile phone no std nothing yeah the troops in the siachen glacier they used to have a smile on their face when they saw us helicopters because they knew ghar se chitthi aa rahi hai imagine a guy staying in kanyakumari getting a letter in siachen glacier he is receiving in that letter after one month yeah that was the only communication with his family and when we gave him anything else you know we used to give him fresh rations or anything uh, you know to eat or something he used to just ignore that for him the ultimate motivation was the letters could be one from his girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, coming back to siachen it's also like uh, in between india pakistan and china is also there yeah right so it's it's a ridge between uh, aksai chin and balochistan if absolutely. i'm not wrong absolutely right absolutely. so 
like it's a very um what do you say like sensitive area yes and it's very strategic for india as well absolutely so first can you tell me like why is it so important for india secondly can you tell me that um how is the union or the alliance between pakistan and china <coughs> actually very harmful for us not only now but like 10 years down the line as well okay uh we need to go back into history to understand uh the answer to the question you just asked yeah you know right from independence all the wars we have had we never initiated the war correct it was the pakistanis who attacked us first in 1948 they forced entry into our country into kashmir they captured a part of kashmir which is now called the pakistan occupied kashmir yeah, okay, okay. we didn't initiate anything next in 1965 they tried again uh, attacking india they failed miserably they were defeated 1971 they tried they again failed they were beaten very badly kargil once again they initiated again they were beaten very badly now coming to china 1962 china on their own attacked india and captured aksai chin once again forced entry into our country forced occupation yeah so when these people are doing such things they are definitely not our friends So neither Pakistan is our friend, nor China is our friend. Now, when two enemies combine, you can imagine how bad it is for our country. So definitely, Pakistan and China coming together is not good news for our country. So we we have to be very, we have to be prepared, and that is why our armed forces are being uh, you know spruced up, uh, you know, to take on both Pakistan and China attacking us together at the same time. And uh, I must say that lot of work has been uh, done. on the border areas uh, uh, the fact that we are still occupying siachen is because that area is the most strategic place if we are not holding on to siachen then they merge into each other pakistan china and uh, they are uh, uh, they dominate that area and once they dominate that area they are going to slowly creep into our country through kashmir and maybe further beyond so it's just a matter of time So, like in in the next ten years, even when you look at history, Pakistan and China, China has been supplying a lot of economic, military, and every uh, all the kinds of wars Absolutely. and ammunitions to Pakistan, and Pakistan has been indebted to them since a long time, yes. right? So that is why it's like crucial for both the countries to kind of uh, maintain good relations with each other, right? Yes. So ten years down the line, what do you think like can happen? see today's uh, scenario uh, globally uh, it is the economic power which decides the strength of a country yeah so if you notice uh, india is slowly gaining uh, you know uh, importance globally as a financial power today it's the fastest growing economy in the world and the fifth largest economy so with that in mind uh, obviously uh, war is not one of the uh, ways uh, to attack any country uh it is the economic uh, you know fight on the economic front so pakistan as of now you are all aware that is uh, you know it's completely shattered economically so it doesn't have any potential to fight china is trying to you know still back up uh, pakistan. pakistan so 10 years down the line I, as i see it uh, pakistan unless they do something drastically well they, they will you know not get out of this uh, economic uh, bad situation economically very uh, you know uh, completely shattered situation uh, 
China is going to, you know, uh, throw its uh, as far as possible tantrums and, you know, try to, you know, spruce up Pakistan. But as I see it, the way India is growing, 10 years down the line also, I don't think there is anything that China and Pakistan can do, even if they get together. Yeah? No, absolutely not. That's great then. So, like, I want to get a different perspective on this. You mentioned Kashmir um, and like they can if they get together if Siachan was not in our control they can get into it can you tell me like because of the wars and everything that has been happening in the past what is it like for the Kashmiris now to live over there because um, so we as civilians in Mumbai or you know other areas cities we got used to like lockdowns and uh, curfews in 2020 but for them it's a very natural thing and it's been happening since three decades now yeah so can you tell me those three decades like what is it like for a kashmiri to live there okay here i would like to mention that i was uh, posted to srinagar yeah in 1989 and i was eyewitness to one of the first ever bomb blasts that happened in srinagar so i have seen with my own eyes the change uh, that happened in uh, Kashmir, especially in Srinagar. And uh, this uh, was somewhere in January, February of 89, when uh, I was there in Srinagar for some training. And uh, the locals were slowly getting aggressive and they started telling us that Aplo India se aayo, which we as youngsters never liked. Yeah. But the fact was that that is a time when Pakistan was slowly uh, brainwashing the youth. Mm. on uh, you know uh, radicalizing them and uh, making them think against india and thereafter what happened is already uh, known to you all ki how uh, you know uh, they managed to flush out the kashmiri pandits from there and uh, the anti india thinking uh, kept growing now before that all before all this happened uh, kashmir was one of the uh, most amazing tourist destinations for all Indians, not only Indians, from people across the world. Yeah. So, all the films, uh, Hindi films of that era, all the shootings were done in Srinagar or somewhere in the Kashmir area. So, tourism was their greatest, uh, I will say, Stand. economy booster. But after the militancy set in, their entire tourism came to a halt. And... Uh, if you ask me frankly, as uh, normal citizens, you all will appreciate that uh, everyone looks for peace. Because peace and prosperity go hand in hand. Yeah. Nobody wants to, you know, uh, not prosper in life. Everybody wants prosperity. And the only way prosperity can come is with peace. Yeah. And this is slowly sinking into the minds of the uh, Kashmiri youth. Because they know that India is doing well economically. And after the removal of Article 370, uh, tourism has once again picked up in a big way yeah. and uh, the boom the boom is yet to happen the boom is about to happen in the next maybe four or five years and that is a time uh, the Kashmiri youth will realize that there is no point in you know sticking to militancy they are, that's not going to take them anywhere and uh, that is going to be a great uh, you know uh, uh, challenge for the Kashmiri youth to give up militancy to you know uh, embrace prosperity and that is that is the only future left for them but you know like uh, i read this that because of the tourism uh, part it's been on a decline since three decades now it will rise up again yes because of that a lot of kashmiris were living in poverty or were forced to live in conditions that was not the way before yeah 
you know so how did that was there an alliance between the kashmiri people and the military or were there like opposing views on between the both of them see uh, there are two aspects uh, one is the uh, terrorism angle yeah now the pakistanis have been you know Uh, continuously sending terrorists across uh, uh, the line the of border, control yeah. into Kashmir, and not only they are uh, creating uh, you know situations, uh, you know stone pelting from bomb blasts. It is also trying to radicalize the youth unnecessarily and trying to create an anti-India propaganda. The Indian Army in the last thirty years has been. uh at it has been interacting with the civilian population and continuously uh, telling them that uh, if you uh, support these people you are not going to progress in life the indian army is here to maintain peace not to fight a war that thought itself is being propagated on a regular basis with regular interactions we call it the civil military interaction okay and in that we are trying to you know uh, encourage uh, the locals to help the army by you know giving information about these terrorists who are holed up uh, you know generally in some of the houses and uh, we have progressed a lot the indian army has done a wonderful job and even as per the uh, united nations report uh, as far as human rights is concerned indian army is one of the best in the world yeah. and the way we have looked after the uh, civilian population in kashmir it is really amazing and commendable Can you tell me any valor stories from the air force which only few people or the personnel know there, but the general public don't know about that? Ah uh, yes, um, we did mention about the Siachen Glacier. Yeah. Like uh, we covered a lot about whoever dominates the heights, uh, he is the king. So uh, I was posted there in nineteen ninety two, ninety three, and there was one particular sector. where there was a pakistani helicopter again a cheetah helicopter because that's the only helicopter which could uh, sustain operations there and uh, they captured a new height and they started a very accurate firing on our army troops and uh, this operation lasted 3 days in which uh, you know uh, we had to retaliate and uh, i can say with pride that i was party to this particular operation wherein uh, we picked up uh, anti-aircraft missiles and uh, positioned them at this sector and finally we managed to shoot down this pakistani helicopter and uh, retreat the situation well in time had we not done that probably the pakistani army would have dominated uh, more posts at heights and uh, caused more damage to our troops so this was an incident which probably has not been highlighted enough at that time but this operation was very challenging very meticulously planned uh, we carried out uh, flying in very challenging and adverse situations uh, we were also under threat of uh, enemy missile fire uh, but uh, we planned it out very well we used the terrain we some we have something called terrain masking wherein wherein you know we used the terrain to hide ourselves yeah. from the enemy's line of sight and uh, managed to go through the operation so uh, there are many many such uh, you know valor stories which are not known to the common public the second incident i can narrate is uh, which was in public domain but uh, the intricacies of that operation was not known disclosed yeah so this was during the kargil just after the kargil uh, you know skirmish that one of the pakistani uh, intelligence aircraft spying on us 
ventured into our territory you know uh, in the run of kutch area in gujarat so uh, one of our fighters which was on standby for air defense role it got airborne and uh, it engaged this aircraft and despite giving warnings that guy uh, you know didn't relent he continued operating in our area and we had no other resort but to shoot it down so a mcdonian aircraft shot the pakistani navy's uh, atlantic aircraft and uh, that was again a great success story as far as the indian air force is concerned and uh, you know for every such incident there is a fallout like in the chn glacier uh, after we shot down their helicopter uh, they didn't take it uh, very nicely obviously yeah. so <laughs> they positioned 500 missiles there and uh, they wanted revenge yeah and uh, after that we didn't stop flying we continued our flying uh but it was very challenging as you know we had to take extra protection we had to ensure that all our routes are sanitized you know all our uh, sortie planning is you know uh, keeping in mind their missile positions it was a you know uh, game of uh, guessing as to who's going like to do what so it's all mind games that goes on uh and there are many many such valor stories uh, which i can't you know tell you uh, off hand and uh, the best part about the armed forces is uh, there is no holiday for us you know yeah. whether it is war or at peace we are always called and that uh, here i would like to highlight that there is something called disaster management you know yeah. uh, we call it uh, uh, aid to civil power and whenever there is any calamity whether it be floods be it earthquake be it you know landslide be it anything we are the first responders and uh, you know we are always on standby air force you know i was going to ask my next question was going to be that about um, disaster management so firstly you explain what is it like when there is a calamity or anything urgent uh, the army or the air force is the first one to kind of reach there and help the people over there right yeah, yeah. so can you tell me any close calls that were there that um, you know particularly comes to your mind yeah so uh, typically uh, from the air force side especially the helicopters uh what we do is we go uh you know first and foremost is the rescue part yeah so uh you find lot of people uh, normally it's the floods you know we have flash floods in almost every part of the country and it is during floods that people get uh, maroon on rooftops on tree tops etc so picking them up is really a challenging job job which only helicopters can do nobody else can do so at very short notice we have to get airborne uh, you know with all our equipment so what we do is we hover over these trees or with uh, on top of these buildings and we pick up people uh, get them into our helicopter and take them to safety it sounds very easy but it's extremely challenging because to explain to a civilian as to how to put on the you know uh, jacket and yeah. how to you know look up and how to keep the position it's very challenging and especially when you know that it's a matter of a few more minutes before which you are going to get washed away yeah so it is highly time critical highly challenging and it needs lots of courage lots of accuracy lots of planning and you used to do this like on a regular day to day basis yes in the thick of it on a regular basis wow Okay, now this is heavy, very heavy. Uh, I want to get to the career part now. Okay. Um, firstly, it's a very basic question, but it's uh, something that I think a lot of people still don't know. Okay. If how do you get into the Indian Army, Navy, or the Air Force? I know there's an exam, 
but like what is the preparation for that what happens after the exam okay if i uh, talk about the officers uh there are four stages you have to pass the written exam of the union public service commission the second stage is you have to go for a interview which which is called a service selection board uh by the way this interview is for 5 days okay this is the only organization uh in the i mean anywhere in the globe you will not find any organization which takes 5 days for an interview so uh that is the second stage the third stage is you have to go for your medicals and the fourth stage is you have to come into the merit so when i say merit just to give you the statistics uh when i joined nda there were about 8 lakh odd people who appeared students and the vacancies were 300 so that is the kind of uh, competitive uh, edge that you need to have uh, to you know get through to nda can and i believe now the figure is much much higher uh, yeah 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 i think so too can you tell me about the interview like what do they ask yeah so this interview is uh, you know uh, very intense in the sense there are three agencies uh, you know trying to evaluate you uh, the first one is a psychologist the second one is a group task officer as to to check out uh, how good are you in a team yeah how do you participate in a team and the third is the interviewing officer he basically uh, checks you as to about your knowledge about your honesty about your background about your confidence about your leadership qualities about your communica- communication skills so if you want to join the indian armed forces as an officer then the ssb is mandatory there is no option you what is to, the ssb the services selection board okay okay so this is mandatory and uh, it is arya par either you have it in you or you don't no, have no. lot of children lot of students you know go to various uh, coaching classes and academies and all and try to prepare themselves but they all get unmasked one of the jobs of the ssb is to unmask you they want to know your bare naked truth as to what you are how you are and whether you are fit to join or not how natural are you how natural are you they look for leadership qualities communication skills confidence courage most important thing courage how courageous are you your dedication your integrity so there are a lot of things we call it the officer like qualities so all these officer like qualities are judged in you and there they they declare whether you are fit or unfit to join the armed forces as an officer and then and then you go to the medicals right yeah medicals i must mention here that if you are an air force cadet the medicals are extremely extremely rigorous you know i saw one video of the army thing where uh, people were walking in a line based on the height if you meet, meet this criteria you're taken and then if you don't you kind of just like go home yeah and that is for the jawans yeah the jawans yeah, yeah for the yeah. jawans recruitment we do it uh for the air force uh if you join the nda all of you are trained to become pilots so your medicals are very very uh, rigorous in the sense uh it it can take anything from 15 to 18 days to complete your medicals so each and every part of your body is checked thoroughly okay and 99% fitness is not acceptable it's a failure what is 99% fitness here no i'm saying in anything if you're fi- if you're found anything less than 100% you're a failure it's a fail so you have to be 100% fit because at that stage initial stage any kind of deficiency is unacceptable uh, to the government of india because they are sp- going to spend crores of rupees on your training yeah, as a pilot yeah. but how do they like uh, measure mental toughness see all uh, yeah mental toughness is checked in the services selection board in the okay interview. okay 
but your medical fitness is checked during the medicals whether you are meeting all the requirements so when i say medicals everything is checked the size of your your hand your elbow your yeah. thighs your knees your uh, sitting height your standing height everything is checked out why is it checked can you tell me because you have to fit into a cockpit okay so that is the reason if you are extremely tall you are unfit if you are extremely short you are unfit so uh, uh, especially for the fighters we have something called an ejection seat okay yeah 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 so uh-huh. you should be able to fit into the ejection seat and manage to pull the handle and get out of the aircraft safely so if you are too tall you will not fit into the ejection seat and that is where you will be rejected got it wow and you the died in 2018 if i'm not wrong yeah correct right so how difficult was it for you to settle into civilian life because i found it very difficult that army officers or people from the military when they come back after the time and it's very difficult for them to just blend in again and then some might have post traumatic stress disorder ptsd yeah that's a very good question because you know uh, like i retired uh, with more than 30 years of service and almost 35 years in uni- in uniform because my yeah. training is rather long uh, since i've come through the national defense academy so uh, at that age uh, <coughs> i was 52 and i had spent 35 years in uniform so more than half my life i have given uh, stayed in uniform so it takes some time to you know get out of that mold but uh, you know like you asked me a question about promotions so and i like i said ki there is a pyramidal pyramidal structure because of which uh, you know you have to shed uh, people uh, as we go up yeah. not everyone can make it so similarly i uh, was uh, you know at a stage when i i had missed my promotion and you know it is up to you as an individual to take a call whether you want to continue or whether you want to you know look for greener pastures outside and as you hit this uh, juncture juncture in life when you realize that okay i am not going to get promoted you tend to you know start reconciling and start you know getting back to your uh, roots yeah and like i tell people that it was a ghar wapasi for me to mumbai after 35 years because it was after 35 years i came back and settled down in mumbai after i retired right right yeah it takes some time to you know adjust to you know civilian kind of life but it's just a matter of time yeah yeah but have have you seen any other officers having like ptsd or something yeah of course there are quite a few officers uh, who take a you know take some time uh, in fact it takes a toll on their health also yeah both the physical and mental health uh but it's an individual stake you had you need to reconcile sometime or other in life because you're not going to you know be forever in the armed forces one day you have to retire right. this, this way or that way right so the earlier you train and tune your mind uh, the more comfortable you will be uh, settling down later on in life that's why i think it's right but i want to ask you now after you retired you went into career counseling or career guidance yeah right so yeah. you're still doing that yeah. after four and a half years yeah see uh, from childhood i am in a you know slightly कहते हैं ना जरा हटके बंदा है सो वेन माई क्लासमेट्स वेर ऑल रनिंग टूवर्ड्स इंजीनियरिंग एंड यू नो बींग डॉक्टर्स एंड आर्किटेक्ट्स एंड चार्टर्ड अकाउंटेंट्स आई सेट नो आई वॉन्ट टू डू समथिंग डिफरेंट एंड दैट्स हाउ आई जॉइन द एन डी ए नाउ मोस्ट ऑफ माई कोसमेट्स एट दिस स्टेज इन लाइफ आर ऑल फ्लाइंग आउटसाइड यू नो इधर इन द कमर्शियल एयरलाइंस और इन द हेलीकॉप्टर्स आई सेट नहीं मैं जरा हटके हूँ मैं ये नहीं करूँगा आई नीड टू डू समथिंग डिफरेंट इन लाइफ some of them are picked up jobs again i said no i don't at this stage in life i don't want to you know report to somebody because that is something i have done all my life reporting yeah. to a boss uh 
so it was my conscious call that i will do something which is completely different and uh, i started my uh, you know this second journey into career guidance and initially i joined a pune based company and got trained like it's a completely different field for me i have to start from scratch yeah and if i have to tell a 10 standard student about all the career options available i should know about these careers so it took me some time to settle down but i think i have done a decent job till now i have handled about 200 students in the last four and a half years and in some cases i have really transformed their lives some cases were were extremely challenging and today the parents are thankful to me for having handled their children brought them back online and given them clarity in all their uh, career and life goals that's great that's great i am really glad that you were part of the show and you were here um i have nothing but respect and admiration for you and for the armed forces as well thank you so much so i had a really insightful conversation with you by the way and thank you for being here it's my pleasure i hope uh with this i'm able to inspire a few young boys and girls to join the armed forces yeah. it will be a greatest achievement of my life if i if i can pull that off thank you so much i hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as i did listen and follow the show on spotify apple podcast binge pods or anywhere you love listening to podcast don't forget to rate and review the show if you listen on apple podcast or spotify 